My name is Elder Jack Anka, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That is a true statement. However, it is not an accurate statement. My name is Pastor Jack Anka of Christ our Savior Lutheran Church in Panama City Beach, Florida. I've tried for years and years and years, and I can't get my name off the rolls of the Mormon Church. So technically, I'm still on there. So, uh, but I am a pastor, graduated from St. Louis, Concordia, St. Louis. So, before we begin, let, let's open with a brief word of prayer. Our dear, loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful for this day you've given us and the opportunity for us to gather together today to learn and to hear and hopefully gain a, a little bit more knowledge of you and your tremendous love for us. Because we know there is no other among the gods like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. In your holy son's name we pray. Amen. In case any of you didn't recognize, part of my closing prayer was that psalm. I'll talk about that psalm later on in the presentation. Psalm 86, 8 through 10. And before we get too far into it, I am not here to bash Mormons. I'm not. And I encourage you never to bash Mormons. Mormons are some of the greatest people you will ever meet. I wish all my neighbors were Mormons. They're some terrific people. Their theology, not so much. And that's what we will talk about. Um, their theology, and in particular, how it can relate to us, to our th theology. Because... Words are important, and understanding their meanings are important. Just because somebody says they believe in Jesus Christ, does that make them a Christian? The question is, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? That's the key, and that's what we're going to talk some about today. But first, a little bit about me and my story. I joined the Mormon church when I was fairly young. My sister joined and I joined afterwards. And every question, I, w I was baptized as a Presbyterian when I was young and traveled around, went to Unitarian Church and all kinds of different things growing up. And then finally, I kind of settled in the Mormon Church. And every question the Mormon missionaries, uh, every question I asked them, they had a good answer for. They used the same language I heard when I was going through Sunday school in the Baptist church when I was in middle school, or Sunday school when I was in elementary school going through the Presbyterian church. They used the same words. Super nice people. So I bought into some of their theology on things. And it was so much so that I almost went on a mission in the Mormon church. I had filled out the paperwork ready to go being interviewed, and God blessed me with not having much money. Some people think, well, how could that be a blessing? Well, if you go on a mission, you have to support yourself or have somebody else support you. I didn't have that kind of money to support myself, so I was 
allowed to continue dating this girl who was a roommate of a person I work with at a movie theater, and she was a Lutheran. And things progressed, and she moved away. We met at the University of Florida. I am a Gator. And um, she moved from there back home to Pensacola, and I never lived away from home, so I moved up there. We continued dating, and we got married in a Lutheran church. And as we, before we started having kids, we agreed that if, well, when we started having kids, sometimes they would go to my church, sometimes we'd take the kids and go to her church. And that's what we agreed. But she reneged on that agreement. She never held to her end. They always went to the Lutheran church. And then one day, she sicked the kids on me. Because uh, I think it was our daughter asked, why doesn't dad come to church with us? She said, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? And they did. And so I said, okay, I'll start coming to church. And by the way, that's my wife, Amy, right in the front row. And I attended church. I went to that church for about eight years. And people thought I was a member, thought I was a Lutheran. I played on their softball team, did everything. <laughs> I guess I could hit a softball back then. But I didn't take communion, did everything but. And people didn't know. But they still were, were open and accepting to me. It's not a great picture, but that's what I look like. See, I, I worked in law enforcement, and I was undercover at that time working in narcotics, buying and selling drugs, smelled. I usually took a shower before I went to church, and I quite often had a ponytail and get, looked real gruff. But they still accepted me, looking like that. You can't judge a book by its cover. So just because someone doesn't look, think, or act like we think maybe a Christian should, love them. Still love them. Show them the spirit and the true love and grace of God. No telling what could happen to that person. And then I took adult confirmation. And then I joined the Lutheran church. And I don't care if you graduate from seminary. It's still a life of learning. And it is a lifelong learning that you go through. And one, one time I went on a mission trip to Slovakia. And when I was over there, I was given about a 30-second notice that I was supposed to talk to a group of middle and high school students about this number. I didn't know what I was going to talk about. So I started talking about Mormonism. Because to me, it was my dark little secret that I had. I didn't want people to know that I was a Mormon. Because there's a little black mark on me in my history. But it's important for people to, to understand people of other faiths, other denominations. And so I put together a... a information, uh, Sunday school packet information, sharing with different congregations. This one Episcopal friend of mine said they were going through uh, studies of different faiths, different religions. And I, I said, well, I, I can talk to you about Mormonism. And he said, oh, no, we're not talking about Christian religions. I said, well, then you really need me to talk to you about Mormonism. Because it was not, uh, not in the know. These words... They sound pretty familiar, don't they? Have you ever heard them used in the Lutheran church? Yeah. Mormons use those same words. Different definitions. 
different meanings. And again, meanings are very, very important. And I'm going to go through those briefly. And if I say something that you don't understand or you have a question on, put that hand up there because you might forget it. And it might be a great question that someone else needs to know. And some of you might have some experience in Mormonism yourself. Some might have members of family that are Mormons. Maybe you were at one time. And some people have different experiences, but this is going to be from my, my experience and my knowledge. Things that I learned firsthand, not reading in a book that somebody else wrote about something else. This is stuff that I went through and experienced. And it has changed and evolved a little bit over time. And it is interesting when, when you think about, well, how can faith evolve over time? Well, some of it has for, for them, for Mormons. First big question is, why the Mormon church? I mean, what, how did that denomination get started? What was, the, what was the deal with that? Well, they believe that when the last disciple of Jesus Christ died, the true church left the earth. There were smatterings of truth, but the whole true church left the earth. There was a great apostasy. There was not the true church on earth. That is, until a young man in the 1800s was praying in his bedroom about what church should he join. And he saw a vision. And that vision told him to go out to a grove of trees. And he went out there, and this was in New York. And he prayed. And God the Father, God the Son, came to visit him. And told him that he will be visited by an angel by the name of Moroni. And Moroni will show him where, some more information where he can find these gold plates that he's going to dig up. Does anyone notice anything interesting in, when God the Father and God the Son? They believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit too, don't we? But we believe, and I'll get into it later about that. Same words. And, and when I was a Mormon, I baptized somebody in the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not the Christian God. Not the triune one God. But the three separate gods. The gold plates. The Book of Mormon. Well, it, in the fiction aisle. But what they say is... Back in 600 B.C., Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah, there was another prophet named Lehi, according to the Book of Mormon, and he was warned to take his family and flee before the big Babylonian exile. And so he took his family and a few others. They left. They built a boat. They sailed across the seas and ended up in the Americas, Lehi and his family. His family, pretty prosperous, and they grew. Two brothers. One was pretty righteous and religious. One was pretty arrogant and didn't care and fought against the others. Nephi, the brother who, the son and brother who was good, prospered and spread like wildfire and became pale 
like light-skinned people in the Americas. Uh, Laman, the brother who was kind of arrogant and demonstrative and didn't care much about faith, they also bred and grew, but God punished them with darker skin. And they became the Lamanites, the American Indians. And the Indians throughout the uh, South America, the Polynesians, that's what they believe they derive from. They were always at odds through the time. And one time they became peaceful together, and that time happened around, they said, 34 A.D. What happened around 34 A.D.? Jesus was crucified. What happened three days after he was crucified? He rose from the dead. They said, well, he went to the Americas. He visited them over there. So that brought peace and prosperity for several hundred years. Then around 400 AD, there was a great battle. And that battle destroyed all the light-skinned Nephites, all the Lamanites, wiped them out. And these Nephites were very intelligent. They had metal chariots and spears and... We don't have any artifacts, but they had all this stuff. And there's this big battle on, in a hill in New York called Hill Cumorah that they were totally wiped out, except one person. And that person was Moroni. His father was Mormon, who wrote down the history of the peoples. And then Moroni hid these gold plates in, under a rock by a tree in this hill. And that's where they stayed until... 1800s, Joseph Smith, Angel Moroni came, visited him, took him to where that was. He found him. So what is the Book of Mormon? The Book of Mormon, they say, is another testament of Jesus Christ visiting the Americas and the history of the Americas. They say it's a, a true gospel, true message from God. Who, uh, who has the Book of Mormon with them? that was being passed around. If you could look up Alma, A-L-M-A, chapter 7. Let me know when you get that. Okay, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. But behold, the Spirit hath said this much unto me, saying, Cry unto this people, saying, Repent ye, and prepare the way of the Lord, and walk in his path, which are straight. For behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the Son of God cometh upon the face of the earth. And behold, he shall be born of Mary in Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers, she being a virgin, a precious and chosen vessel, who shall be overshadowed and conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. Who was being born according to that? Jesus Christ. Where was he being born according to that? Jerusalem. Hmm, that's contrary to this Bible. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 2, verses uh, 4 to 6. And you'll remember hearing this quite often around Christmas time. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where, and this was Herod, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written of the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd 
my people Israel. The Book of Mormon says Jerusalem. Now people say, oh, well, they're just talking about the region, that that's what they meant when they talk about Jerusalem. No, Bethlehem is specific. Scripture talks about Bethlehem being specific, and it's important. Bethlehem, a small area outside of Jerusalem. You know, they grow, back in the day, they grew sheep. A lot of places grew sheep. The sheep in Bethlehem were used for one purpose and one purpose only. And that was to be sacrificed in the temple. To be the sacrifice for the people's sins in the temple. That's what the one use of the lambs born in Bethlehem was for. Who was born in Bethlehem that is the lamb of God? Jesus Christ. So is it important? Yes. Scripture said it happened. Book of Mormon says it didn't. According to Mormons, Scripture is only true and accurate as long as it's been transcribed correctly. If there was an error, if there's a conflict between the Book of Mormon or the Bible, eh, the Book of Mormon's right because the Bible was translated wrongly. So that's about the Book of Mormon. And by the way, if you want to get a Book of Mormon to, to look at and read through, go to the library or ask some friends, because if you do some of the online things, you'll have people knocking on your door. So unless you want to talk to them, and you can. As I said, I, I had people, missionaries, keep coming to my door looking for Elder Onka because I hadn't been to their church in forever. And I used to just kind of poo-poo them away. And then I said, no, I'm going to sit down. So I started sitting down and talking with them and how they are wrong about certain things. Being loving, kind to them, and they stopped coming to my door. So they have three basically, books of scripture that they hold. The King James Bible. They believe in the Holy Bible, but they believe in the King James only Bible. That's the Bible that they use. I have a, a Bible down there that was mine that uh, we used uh, when I was going through Sunday school, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But they only believe in that. Now, you heard just a couple passages from the Book of Mormon. It sounded kind of old English, didn't it? Those gold plates that were transcribed by Joseph Smith, he used what he said were seer stones, the Urim and Thummim. And he said he transcribed that from the plates and wrote it down. If you spoke Spanish, understood totally, and you were given a Spanish transcript, and you transcribed that into a language that we understand, I guarantee you, you would not transcribe that into Old English. You would transcribe it into what we're talking today, wouldn't you? When Joseph Smith was alive, they didn't speak Old English. So why did he transcribe it like it was Old English? Why? Because the Bible, the King James Bible, was the only Bible that was around at that time. That was the main Bible that was around at that time. So yes, King James only. So if you have any friends or neighbors that espouse oh, only the King James, that's the only Bible. Well, then they have a lot in common with the Mormons. So King James. The Book of Mormon we just talked about. Doctrine and Covenants. Their leader of the church is a person that they call a prophet. 
And this prophet um, communicates to God. And this was my doctrine and covenants that I would carry with me. That would help um, understand things. Understand um, if, if there's a question on the Bible, you don't understand on the Bible, or what should we do about whatever, this man says, well, I'm a prophet of God, this is what we should do, and they wrote it down. And that is what they hold to be God's word. They had something in common with Martin Luther. They said that, that the most evil person on the earth, the Pope, had control of the Bible, and he did things incorrectly. So that, and Martin Luther didn't like the Pope very much either. It's interesting, there's also something here called the Pearl of Great Price, which they say are Joseph Smith's translations from some um, Egyptian scroll things that he said was New Egyptian and gave some prophetic stuff called the Book of Moses and things. No, no, he just made that stuff up. But they hold this to be God's word. So if they, for example... Um, Doctrine and Covenants 93.29. Man was also in the beginning with God. Intelligence or the light of truth was not created or made, neither indeed can be. Man was also in the beginning with God. That's what the prophet said. <laughs> that's not what God says, but that's what the prophet said. Man was in the beginning with God. As a side note, and I never realized this when I was deep in Mormonism until years later, <clears throat> a slogan that always stuck in my head, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. As man is, God once was. So man was once God. As God is, man may become, so man may, huh. I didn't know that. I didn't believe that, but I, I didn't know what that, understood what that meant when I was deep involved in Mormonism. But that is true. We'll talk about that when we talk about salvation. No scripture or no scripture. For example, and this is, whenever I'm putting scripture up here, that's from the King James, because Mormons like King James. John 10, 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Talking with my Baptist friend as a Mormon kid. Read that scripture. See there? See there? Jesus himself is saying, I have other sheep, not of the sheep pen. He's talking about the Americas. He came to the Americas and talked to people. That's what, that's what God said. No, he didn't. That's what, that's what scripture says, what I just read. Not the interpretation. Not at all. I like to say... Read scripture with 2020 vision. 20 verses before, 20 verses after. What's the context of what is being said? Who's doing the talking? Who's, who's he talking to? What's the context of what is going on? Then you can understand scripture. Jesus did, said, did say, I have other sheep, not of the sheepfold. Who was he talking to? Anybody? The Jews. Who are not of the Jews? The Gentiles, that's who Jesus is talking about. He said, talking about us. He could have been mentioning people in Americas, but he's talking about anybody who was not a Jew. 
That's what was going on in this scripture. But Mormons built a whole theology of taking that out of context. 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead not rise at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? You see right there? Paul's saying you should baptize people for the dead. No, he's not. The people he's talking to didn't even believe in the resurrection. They're questioning that. And he said, well, if you're even questioning the resurrection, why are you even doing this if you don't even believe in the resurrection? Never did he say to baptize for the dead. And that's the only place in Scripture where you'll find that. Scripture interprets Scripture. And you won't find that anywhere else. But they have a whole theology on baptism for the dead. I was baptized for 30 dead people one time in the temple in Salt Lake. Because when we talk about salvation, you'll see about different degrees of glory. The only way to go up is to be baptized into the Mormon faith. So your dead great-grandmother, Aunt Sally, she wasn't a Mormon. Somebody could be baptized for her in the temple. So in the other world, if she hears the gospel preached, because they believe it will be preached there, the Mormon gospel, um, then she can move up in the chain of salvation. So Mormons believe in baptism for the dead. So they're so phenomenally gifted in the genealogy. Even so, if it hath not, fa- hath not works, is dead. Being alone. Faith without works is dead. I believe in that. Not the way they believe in, but I believe in that. Faith without works is dead. But, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. It is, not, it, it is the gift of God, not of works. Faith without works is dead, absolutely. If you have true faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to do works. You can't help but do works. That's the Holy Spirit working through you. And actually, anything good you do, you're not doing it. God's doing it through you. He's the one doing the work. So you don't have to worry about doing good things. You have that faith in you that God called you to. You're going to do good things. Not for salvation. You can't work your way into love and getting God to love you any more than he already does. But they look at it different. They say, nope, you got to work. Work, work, work. So they don't have a problem getting volunteers to teach Sunday school. Heaven and hell. To them, hell is kind of a temporary thing until you can go to one of these three things. And again, taking things out of context. I'm going to go just a little bit more detail, but I'm not going to stay too long because I don't want to get you confused or or, uh, falling asleep. And this is not mistyped. In King James, 1 Corinthians 15, 42, they built their whole theory of salvation about heaven on this, in the King James scripture. There are celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. So they're talking about celestial and celestial, and you'll only find those words in the King James, not in ESV or NIV. Well, what does all this mean? I don't know. Let's ask the prophet. So in Doctrine and Covenants 88, <coughs> the prophet said, 
that bodies who are of the celestial kingdom, the top one, may possess it forever and ever. For this intent was it made and created. And for this intent are they sanctified. And they who are not sanctified through the law, which I have given unto you, even the law of Christ, I didn't know Christ gave laws, <clears throat> must inherit another kingdom. So if you're not of the celestial, you must inherit the terrestrial or that of the telestial. For he who is not able to abide in the law of the celestial kingdom cannot abide celestial glory. The top of the line of salvation is celestial. That's when you're doing all the works in the temple. You're sealed to your spouse. You're doing all these good things. You're up there, and eventually you can become a god. You're not there. You're at the terrestrial or at the telestial. Three degrees of glory. That's what they believe in. Everybody will be in one of those three. If you're not, you're in a temporary holding thing until you get to the bottom, and then you can move up if someone's baptized for you or things like that. <clears throat> taken out of context. Well, what, what would that mean? If they just looked at the verse right before the celestial, it says all flesh is not the same. There's one kind of men, another of flesh of beast, another of fish, and another of birds. Talking about that, not talking about heavenly degrees of glory, taking something way out of context. Again, somebody could take a piece of scripture twist it all around out of context and say it means something different. Always look scripture with that 2020 vision. Understand what is going on so that you can understand it. So they have three degrees of glory. Terrestrial, celestial, and telestial. Christian, as we mentioned earlier, one God. Three persons, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons. Mormons, they have three separate gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three separate. And God the Father and Son have bodies just like you and I. God the Holy Spirit doesn't. And I haven't heard them talk much about the Holy Spirit when I was in there. They didn't talk a whole lot about that. <clears throat> but what about Jesus? They believe that, remember earlier I mentioned, read from Doctrine and Covenants, that man was with God from the beginning. They believe that God created all of us and we're in the spirit realm just hanging out, waiting to get a body. And I was told that's why a lot of Mormons have a lot of, a lot of kids because they want people to have bodies because they're hanging out in the spirit world. They even did a great play one time called My Turn on Earth. I love the music in it, but that's what it was. They're waiting to come down to earth to take a body. Jesus, a spirit. His spirit brother, Lucifer, they were both in the spirit realm. God the Father wanted to come up with a plan of salvation. Lucifer said, well, we can make people love you, make people follow you. We can demand their loyalty. And Jesus said, no, let's, let's give people free will so they can decide on their own if, if they want to love you or follow you. God the Father liked his plan better. Lucifer got upset. There was a big war in heaven. Lucifer got kicked out. <laughs> there is some truth to, to some of that. But 
then Jesus, because God the Father liked his plan so much, he elevated him to godhood. So, so Jesus was a created spirit by God the Father, elevated to godhood, so now he is a God like God the Father. So when they say they believe in Jesus Christ, it is not the same Jesus that we read about in here and is not the same Jesus you heard about in Confirmation. It is a different Jesus. <clears throat> and a lot of that I didn't understand until years later when I got out of that Mormon culture. Once a month, and there are a lot of great things that, that Mormons do, but once a month they have what they call fast and testimony service in their church service. And that during their primary service, what we call our worship service time, but it's not worship really for them, <clears throat> they would not have their normal operations for that service, but they would have people, a microphone passed around, and people would stand up and give their testimony. And people would testify that, hey, I believe in the, in the, the law of tithing, how much that's helped me and going on. I believe Joseph Smith was a prophet, and I believe in the Book of Mormon. I Everything that they kind of think believe in or, or I know is true. Not once. I don't remember one time someone standing up and saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he died for my sins. I don't remember ever hearing that. To them, it's a lot more important that I believe Joseph Smith was a prophet than I believe that, Joseph, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So they believe that Jesus did live, but he was a spirit created by the Father, that he was elevated to godhood. He was born of Mary, but Mary became pregnant just like any other woman would with God the Father. Um, so she wasn't a virgin, per se, when she gave birth. But they do believe he was born of Mary. They do believe that he died on the cross, rose from the dead, and atoned for sins. But always have to be careful, whatever comes after but. The atonement, Jesus atoning for our sins, paying the price for us and our sins. They believe the atonement happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember the night that Jesus was betrayed when his disciples were supposed to stay awake with him and they kept falling asleep. And Jesus was praying by himself, praying so earnestly, so fervently, that great drops of blood poured out of him. That had to be painful. I have cried so hard before my face turning red and hot, and, but I, it didn't bleed. I couldn't imagine the pain and agony that he went through. But that is where the price of sins was paid. That is what they believe. We believe it happened on the cross. That that innocent lamb of God, that perfect lamb of God, went to the cross and died, suffered, Bled, paid the price for our sins. And actually, and again from King James, if they just look in Colossians, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, reconciling things. Throughout scripture talks about Jesus, the blood of the cross, dying on the cross. Never does it go into atonement occurring in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
But that is what they believe, that that's where that happened. So, does that look like a typical Christian church? Could be. Stained glass windows. What's at the top of that church? A cross. You will never see a cross on a Mormon church. I, I asked an elder one time when I was in the church, I said, well, why don't we have any crosses? And he said, well, if he was stoned to death, would you wear a stone around your neck? <laughs> yeah, I guess I would. But, <clears throat> but the cross is meaningless to them. It does not... Some people say, well, we don't want an idol. I have never met a Christian that sees a cross as an idol. I don't worship the cross. I worship the one that hung on the cross. But that cross is a reminder of me, that great price that was paid for me and my freedom, for my salvation. That's what the cross is. But they will not have a cross on their church because it's insignificant. Not, I mean, he died, okay. But that's not where the work of God took place. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So you will not see. You'll see some beautiful structures, but you will not see a, a cross on the church. So when you talk about salvation, the Mormons look at telestial, terrestrial, and celestial. And you got to be a good Mormon to be able to get up higher. To be a good Mormon, you go to the temple and do certain things. Be an adequate Mormon, you can go to a certain level of the temple, but you can't go that far. You got to be a better Mormon, better recommendations by your bishop to, to go further up into the, the chain, so to speak. I was on the lower level that I could go into the temple and be baptized for the dead, but I couldn't go further because um, uh, that's when I started getting out of the Mormon church, started becoming inactive, and then uh, stopped going altogether. Thanks to a Lutheran I met. They believe that Christ's atonement in the garden did pay for our sins, our original sins. But after that, you're on your own, dog. You're on your own. You sin, you've got to pay the price yourself. You've got to work for forgiveness. So you've got to repent. And repent to them means turning around, being sorry, asking for forgiveness, and never doing it again. I wish I could do that. Somebody cut me off in traffic and I'm having mean thoughts about that person. I wish I would never do that ever, ever again. But I can't say that that won't happen. And what they believe is, okay, you asked for forgiveness, you felt sorry for it. Okay, oh, you did it again. Those old sins come back to you. So you really weren't totally forgiven. Unless you never, ever do it again. So they don't believe in that. You got to work for it. They are very works righteous. Now, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of good work is a, does a lot of good things. But for salvation, nah, not at all. As a Christian, Jesus paid the price for our salvation, period. I can't work to add to that. What could I do? What could any of us do? 
to help Jesus pay for our sins, to add to what salvation has been done. We can't. We can't. We can't make God love us any more than he does. We have been called to our faith, not because we work for it. We're dead. We can't come to that knowledge, but God called us to that faith by his love, his grace alone. So that's what we believe. The foundation of Mormons, they believe in the prophet, the leader of the church, that they call a prophet. I'm not sure the name of the man now. I'll tell you the one that was there when I was there in just a second. And uh, they believe in new prophetic interpretations of sacred scripture and new scripture. Again, well, I know it was written here, but Paul really didn't mean this. This is what God really meant when he told Paul to write that. And that's where the Doctrine and Covenants comes in, telling us how, how to live. This was the prophet when I was in there, Spencer W. Kimball. I have the book right down there, The Miracle of Forgiveness. This is what he said. One of the most fallacious doctrines originated by Satan and propounded by man is that man is saved alone by the grace of God, that belief in Jesus Christ alone is all that is needed for salvation. Holy cow. Yeah, I believe that. But he said that came from Satan. And that was the leader of the church, Spencer W. Kimball, when I was in the church, when I was active in the church. Amazing. But you can see how far off the salvation spectrum of our understanding and belief is from theirs. We believe, and in particular those in this room, Lutherans, we believe scripture alone. Not some new prophetic words by someone calling himself the prophet, but in God's word alone, in scripture alone, that we find God's love, God's salvation. And how do we get there? By faith alone. We can't work for anything, but our saving faith alone is what saves us, our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. But how do we get that faith? In grace alone, period. God gives it to us. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. Do we believe in gods with the lowercase g? As Lutherans, you betcha, uh, trying to use a, a Minnesota term, you betcha, we do. Luther talked about it. Lowercase g. What could be a god? Money, fame, work. When I, uh, when I worked in the sheriff's office, I ended up being the number two man before I retired. There were people that were working for me that couldn't afford this house, couldn't afford this car, but they were working like dogs so they could pay for it. That became their gods. Putting that above anything else in their life. So yes, we do believe in the lowercase g's. And in this case, the Mormons have a lowercase g that they follow, that they believe in. And yes, we do believe in works, but God can, God's the only one that anything good that we do, God is doing that work, not us, not at all. And we do worship him. Now, our service is quite a bit different than the Mormon service. 
a typical Mormon service, and, and I'd heard they just changed it this year, but it used to be three to four hours on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Oh, geez, I hear that groans. <laughs> Tell me about it. As a high schooler, I'd say, holy cow. You'd show up for a brief 30-minute me uh, service meeting with songs and stuff, and then you'd go and go to priesthood. That would be what the guys went to and the girls went to, to uh, um, uh, Relief Society. And then after that, we'd get together for seminary, Sunday school, and then we'd go to the general meeting afterwards, and everybody sing songs and have a regular service where somebody would get up and talk. Never, never had like a preacher up there preaching but talking about different things. But yeah, three to four hours. That's a long time. And the main thing to keep in mind is keeping the main thing the main thing, which is Jesus Christ. Because we worship in different styles at our different services. And I served at a church that at one time had a contemporary service and then a traditional service. And then a blended piano mass on Saturday night. Liturgy was almost identical. Just some songs were different. Some hymns were different. But we do worship God. And the big thing that we know is there are no other gods with a capital G. He is it. No matter who prays to Satan, no matter who does what to whatever else, he is the only one that will save us, that will guide us. Real God or man-made God? No. The real God is found in here. Even though, even though Mormons, I love the King James. Sometimes it's hard to understand, but I love the King James. But this is where the real God is found. And I'm a firm believer that there will be some Mormons in heaven because at some point they're exposed to God's word and God works through his word to bring people to faith despite their wild out theology. As I said, when I went there, baptized as a Presbyterian, went to that church. One time I went to, I was in Salt Lake one summer and I went to this big outside pageant called Manti Pageant where they did this big play about these American Indians and the Book of Mormon and all that stuff. And I had this T-shirt on that had this apple with a bite taken out of it that said, not perfect, just forgiven. I thought it was pretty good. But I kept having missionaries coming up to me and say, well, uh, let me talk to you about the Book of Mormon. Let me, I say, hey, I'm a Mormon. Oh, well, we thought because of your shirt. I said, what's wrong with my shirt? So there are some that understand and know Jesus. And there are some people leaving the Mormon faith all the time. So, yes, God works wondrous ways in his ways and his timing. I don't know what Jesus looks like. I grew up with that Jesus, and I got that picture of Jesus on my wall in my office. But he is true God. 